Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I want to start this by mm. stealing another really good segment from Friendly Pod of ours. Okay. Being the, the Blood and Mud player spotted. So really hoping that's what you're about to say so i i kind of want to turn this into a little bit of a, a game so i i'm in nantes Hello. right now and you're yep. in nantes as well indeed however i went home for you a home. week uh, since we last recorded i've been in nantes for a week or near nantes for a week we went out to the coast like right by the sea it was nice middle of nowhere yeah nothing around closest supermarket was a bloody 40 minute walk weird little place weird little town on the coast of france nothing around you didn't like you would walk for 10 minutes and see one person was it nice it was lovely it was lovely good. yeah good that's good to hear. Whereas I went back to Nottingham for a week. I mm. went back home for seven days. Not to not. Indeed, indeed. Uh, even though it was Leon that I went from, very confusing. But I flew out to Nantes today mm. from Stansted Airport. So okay. I got the, the train down from Nottingham to Stansted. And um, so as I got on the plane at Stansted Airport... I, th- there was somebody sat in front of me on the plane who was very lovely, who was at the touch tournament in oh, really? Nice. Oh, wow. Um, who said, my kids were at that tournament. And I watched on the sideline. Are you Will? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I am. Had a little chat. And there was an Argentine fan who was coming over for the game. Oh, amazing. Uh, had a little chat with those guys. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody else on the plane further okay. down in seat 16D. And I want you to guess who I might have seen that was a Is famous rugby person. 16D a clue? No, no. It's not just a where replacement was, hooker. That was no. the seat that he was sat in. Okay, I appreciate you remembering that. Yeah. Um, oh, I was on the plane for an hour and ten minutes. Like, I had some time to kill. <laughs> so, it'll be a famous rugby person coming over for the World Cup. It won't be a player. It won't be a current player. Not a current someone player. retired. Yeah. A pundit, perhaps? Yes. Pundit, journalist, Topsy Ojo. No, that's Ooh. not a bad guess. It's not a bad guess. Okay, probably someone no, who's working independent rather than working for ITV. Uh, um, not working for ITV, yeah, you're correct. So could possibly be S4C, but probably not. Uh, um, not F- I, I do know so, who this person is go- is doing the work for. Okay. It's, it's okay, not okay, S4C. It's not, it's not S4C. So it'd be one of the papers, I presume? No. No, BBC? Yes. Okay. You're getting so, warmer. Brian Moore. No, Brian Moore's working for the Telegraph now. No, you're getting um, colder. So, it's not one of the BBC podcasts. Indeed. People. Nicky Robinson. No, however, I did later see him at the baggage hold. <laughs> of course you did. Josh Navidi. It was Josh Navidi. Josh Navidi. Uh, I, I saw Josh Navidi putting his bag into like the, the luggage hold at the top. Uh, oh, on the plane. I think he's good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like lifting and a bag of pick and mix. So I was talking to these two people in front of me, mm. and I was like, holy fuck, that's Josh Navidi, <laughs> just like 10, 15 rows in front of us wow. uh, on the other side of the plane. Because his hair is six out, oh, you know, yeah. it's very distinctive. Yeah. And he's also bloody enormous. He's massive. And his hair looks incredible mm. in person, incredibly well kept. And I told whoever to text you about this, but instead I texted our mum. Yes, because this is the important one. Josh Navidi is... 
probably her favourite player ever, maybe. It's up there, you know, Ugo Monia, obviously. Yeah. Big favourite. Josh Navidi, absolutely. But two minutes past two uh, this afternoon, I sent her a text saying, Josh Navidi's on my flight with four exclamation marks, to which she replied, no, with six <laughs> exclamation marks. I then said, positive sighting, his hair looks absolutely incredible in person. She replied, of well, of course it does. No wonder she couldn't shave it, even for Smiler. Uh, I imagine he's being kind to dogs and children too. <laughs> my only sorrow is that Warren only spotted his true potential three years after I did. And I said, <laughs> if I bump into him after I'm off the train, I'll say hello for you. And there was a point where, like, like we got off the tra- the, yeah. the plane and I did spot him, like, see him again walking off. And I thought, I'm not going to be that guy who goes up to him and goes, you're my mum's favourite player. You could have been. I could have been. At passport control, Nicky Robinson was stood like two people in front of me as well. Nice. I was like, oh, that's Nicky Robinson. He's all right. He's sound, Nicky Robinson. Yeah. yeah. I did the gunfire pod with him. Decent bloke. Yeah, He's yeah, all right. You yeah. Know, very lovely. Very nice. But Makes I, time for I you. did like that Scrum 5 had just sent them in like regular, yeah. you know, sat in separate seats as well, not paid yeah, for them to sit the together. They're the podcast, not the TV show. Yeah. But just slightly lower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But obviously Josh Navidi stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was great. Just there was a very small pocket of rugby fans sat near me on the plane which was mostly full of rugby fans mainly Welsh mm. ones uh, going like holy shit Josh Navidi's over there yeah. and it was great but they, from listening to the Scrum 5 pods as well Josh Navidi is apparently enjoying the attention he's getting because everywhere he goes around not everyone's going holy shit it's Josh Navidi yeah because you spot him instantly because he's Josh Navidi yeah yeah and that's it he's extremely distinctive whereas mm. I had to do a double take on Nicky Robinson yeah and I was like oh yeah that is Nicky Robinson he just looks like an impressive man yeah yeah, yeah. I didn't see Gareth Rousseau in uh, no I think he's been over here already has he yeah. okay I think just been over the whole yeah. time yeah there was a lot of time throughout the flight where I would just like look at Josh Navidi yeah. you know when like the plane starts to Did go he have headphones uh, he, he had um, uh, AirPods. Oh, no, um, okay. So, you know... I just thought he'd be a big over-ear headphone man. Yeah. I, you know, he loves his music. He does, he does, loves his DJing. And there was a part of me that thought I could go up to him and say, like, look, you're my mum's favourite player, you're her desktop background because it reminds her to work hard and enjoy occasions, <laughs> which is so lovely. I think that part of Wales' success in 2019, a big part of it came down to you. Mm. And also, I really love that you were there for your mate who was throwing up at the Stereophonics gig that someone spotted <laughs> you at of Blood and Murder and you got player spotted no, for that. I mean, this is nothing on Jess Hayden's Josh Navidi anecdote, but go and listen to a past episode of Blood and Mud to find out where Jess was a guest because it is unbelievable as an anecdote. Yes. So the idea of this podcast is we're going to talk about some of the games from last weekend. We haven't worked out which ones yet. We'll see how we land. You've obviously been back home. Yes. I've been somewhere with no Wi-Fi, no signal, no nothing. Yeah. It made the whole thing very difficult. I was briefly ill as well. I'm all right now. So we're bloody back to run over rugby's. The last rugby we saw before you headed home, was Uruguay against Namibia. Yes, we went to that game. Yeah. Uh, that was in Leon. Uh, lovely yes. stadium. We spoke about this, obviously, with the Wales-Australia game. We had really good seats for that game as yeah. well. Like, we, we, oh, splashed we splashed out, out like 20 quid. Yeah, for the whole was like 25 quid. Yeah. So that's all right. It was a really smart idea then to put them in that stadium because here's the thing. that Right, so those two teams played in Montevideo couple of months ago. They yeah. played maybe late July, I think it was. And that game sold about... 7,000 seats in one of the two host nations, right? This game played in Lyon in a 55, 60,000 seater stadium, which feels bigger as well. So 49k tickets, didn't it? I believe it was 49k, yeah. How incredible is that? Which is unbelievable. 
every basically everybody that we spoke to at the Wales Australia game said like, oh yeah, we're also yeah. going to the Uruguay game on Wednesday. And you walked around that, right? And yes, there was a lot of travelling Uruguay fans, like huge number of Uruguay yes. fans travelled over, which is amazing. And like that wasn't the case in Japan. And I know part of it's logistics and so on. It's easy to get to France, perhaps. But the way rugby's clearly exploded in Uruguay, and we've talked about this repeatedly on this podcast, has been amazing to see. The fact that their fans are travelling over in such numbers is hugely encouraging. Yeah. Shows just where they can go and where they can build from here. But yeah, huge numbers of Wales and Australia fans that hung around, huge numbers of all black and Italy fans that were there a few days early. We spoke to two guys that had come over from the Netherlands just for mm. this one game. They'd driven from the Netherlands that day. Yeah, and they were going back there. that night. Yeah. Like, how incredible is that? Which is commitment that I admire enormously. Yeah. And the game didn't disappoint. It was no. a really good game. I think we saw, aside from a couple of sloppy cards at the end with mm. bad tackling technique, we saw the best version of Namibia. Yeah. And I think it's... Oh, so often, partially because they just piss through qualifying and then get drawn into really difficult pools. Yeah. Partially because they always get given shit turnarounds. They're always the team that we, that are last to play their first game and first to play their last game. And yeah. 19 days between their first and last game. It's, it's insane, insane. But there's various, um, like, what's the word? Kind of qualifying factors mm. that mean we often don't see the best side of Namibia. No. And, there was a part of me thinking in this World Cup we wouldn't because mm. Uruguay, I thought, would completely shut them down. Yeah. And Namibia really expressed themselves. They were brilliant. Yeah. You also had the fact that they rested their team, which in past World Cups, they haven't done. They've kept yeah. a strong side out throughout and they've maybe changed the bench a bit in order to give everyone a bit of a run. And, that's right? it. and then maybe change it for the last game, yeah. regardless of who it is. They'll I'll just say give everyone a run. It. Rested everyone against France because they know we're going to get slaughtered here anyway. They sent some lambs out to the slaughter mm. and they went, we're putting a full focus on this Uruguay game. And so we got to see this supercharged Namibia. You know, they scored the quickest round in the tournament. Yeah. Which was, it's interesting. See you, so, Mark Talaya. Yeah. <laughs> to keep mentioning him, our good friend Ignacio Chan, yeah. uh, who's been doing phenomenal coverage of the South American nations, uh, really worth following on Twitter. Take a drink really at finding home. everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he did a piece about this game. He did a few pieces, one of which mentioned that Uruguay had been practicing that move that they ran first phase off that first line out of the game one minute in. They started practicing that back in Uruguay. They knew they were going to run that first phase of this game from like two months out. So overthrow the this. line out to your eight. Yeah. Jack, uh, snap it back to the, um, the 10. Then they essentially run like well, the kind crossing, of next shape yeah. off there. Between and the then centers. throw the miss ball to the fullback up, like kind of between yeah, and then the they have, two. Yeah, the fullback and the winger coming in. And then, you know, one of them is, depending on where the winger goes, one of them is a real option, the other one's a support option. And then they've got the two centres can follow up And as you well, can so choose, four players you know, again. which one you're yeah. going for. And yeah. seeing as, you know, the way Namibia defend with the centres being like, all of it is on Dazel normally. Yeah. Like Dazel runs the entire defence for Namibia. He was obviously banned for this game, wasn't available because for touching Antoine Dupont, and that is a no-go in France at the moment. Yeah, um, and rightfully so. Rightfully so, rightfully so. What's it been like to be in a country where Antoine Dupont's fitness isn't the second story in the news every single week? Oh, mate, week, it's been way. so weird going around corners and not seeing Antoine Dupont's face. Yeah. No one knows rugby's happening no. in the UK. We'll, we'll talk about it another That's time. That's a whole other but... thing, but yeah. But no, genuinely, when you put on the news in the evening, how Antoine Dupont's doing is a headline every yeah. single day. Yeah. Every single day. So it should be. Absolutely. And it should be in all countries, regardless yes. of whether they're in this Rugby World Cup. But yeah, that move then, lovely stuff, designed really to exploit a team that defends incredibly heavily off 13. Plan was always to run it first phase off the first line out and they mess up the pass it goes straight into Mouton's hands he runs it in under the post yeah which is the absolute nightmare scenario so have you been practicing for two months three months maybe that you then 
balls up right away yeah. in the first minute of the game. Mutan's read on that is fantastic is. as well. The fact that he knows that it could go to any one of those four players. Mm. As you say, he can pick any option, a ratter at nine. It doesn't mean he does pick any option. Yeah. And yet it bounces beautifully for Mouton, who runs it in. And it was it was a brilliant start to the game. Gershwin Mouton is a player who's flown under the radar, but I think he's had a fantastic World Cup. I think he has are... done everything asked of him and more. Like, he's yeah. come in for Chad Plato, who's obviously maybe a star player, probably. You know, was their right best player there. in the previous World Cup, at least. Yeah. You obviously got, you know, Stevens Comradie as well, who missed this game as well. But Chad Plato, really their standout player probably their best most stand up back players, yeah. yeah and Mouton's come in for him and he's just been fantastic he's, he's just done really taken the opportunity with he's two hands, added he? value of everything he's I, done like I, every touch he's made more meters he's been yeah. faster he's defended incredibly well I really hope he gets a contract in MLR or yeah. Prodi Dart it's difficult to think of a player whose stock has risen more than him in mm. this group stage you know mm. somebody who was pretty unheard of you know I'd, I I, maybe had heard his name before this tournament yeah. and now I look at him and think like he's excellent yeah. like he is a proper like money ball signing that you can absolutely. make absolutely Absolutely. In terms of players that stock has risen, Manuel Ardell yeah, is that's probably the, the highest through-the-roof signing anyone could make. And Touchwood was recording this before Uruguay All Blacks, mm. but he's not had a bad game yet. No, he's been fantastic across yeah. the board. Uh, Ignacio Chan did say he's spoken to him and he hasn't had any offers from Europe yet. He says he's still committed to going to the Miami Sharks. That is not going to happen. Yes, I reckon that. just more zeros are going on the yeah. end of that uh, buyout clause for the Miami Sharks. I He'll just have think... an offer from Sale or from like Bayonne or someone by the end of next week. Yes, easily, easily. He's ridiculous. The I want to keep talking about yeah, Namibia, Namibia for a little they, bit. They just keep building. Yeah. And I think that was the really outstanding thing was like, we saw them against Italy. Their try is so well taken in that game is such a well-constructed, yeah. careful try that is genuinely good attack in a way a lot of people have been very sniffy of, you know? And it's like, someone asked me on Twitter the other day, do you think the current Portugal team would beat the 87 All Blacks? And yeah, mm. like, I think this Namibia team would put like a heavy score past the 87 All Blacks. Yeah, who were like, great. 50 points, yeah. Like, as far but as like, classic sides go, you don't get any better than the 87 that, All Blacks. Right, but, but you look at that 87 World Cup, right? And this is a conversation we've had before off air plenty of times. But I think New Zealand and France would score points in response. Maybe Australia. Yeah. Where I think the other teams that tournament Australia would like, keep the score lowest because yeah. they kicked the most. Yeah. Yeah. They would. They had a genuinely good ten in liner. Yeah. Where I think that New Zealand team, right? Like people being like, "Oh, don't you worry about the rocking and like the New Zealand, the Namibian players wouldn't be able to handle the way they rock back then." Like, well, no, like because the technique's been sorted out. Yeah. But really? like all eight players ran to every rock. Yeah. You know, like. The first rock... Now you can have two people seal off on their own, yeah. you know? The average rock nowadays takes between two and four seconds, Yeah, right? Like, the average rock then took between 30 and 40. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's a very and different game. Naturally, this thing, right? Grant Fox and John Kerwin and Craig Green mm. and all those guys will score points past yeah. you, obviously. Yeah. That's just the way it is. But, yeah, you're right. Namibia would but put a hefty scoreline on... The standard of Namibia's guys. play has been really high across the tournament. They've just struggled with that. They've come a group against the All Blacks and France. And those have been really difficult games. It's the group that of Italy death game, in Namibia. Yeah. That Italy game, they showed what they can do in attack. And they yeah. really got to double down here and actually build on that. I'm so and that glad second try, that. the JC Crayling oh, try, I'm is so even better. I'm so pleased for Crayling. I think yeah. he's been one of their most consistent players for a decade now. For a really long time. Um, like 2015, he came on. I think that was where he first grasped that opportunity, kind mm. of on the world stage. And scored, scored a try against Argentina, I believe, in 2015. Yes. Um, and was playing centre, has moved out to the wing since then. I think he's had a really solid World Cup, just hasn't had any real opportunities until that game. Yeah. Uh, and I think he was really good against Uruguay. Yeah. Took that try brilliantly. It was Richard Hardwick set him up, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Richard, yeah. Um, Hardwick, again, had a 
good game. Hardwick's ball, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just really, really well worked. I remember because we were right on that side mm. and seeing that and seeing it's the number eight and going, oh, yeah, this is going to be a difficult eight. You know, the eight's probably going to bomb the pass. And he doesn't. He no. hangs it perfectly for Crayling to run onto, hit full pace. And again, you see the cover coming across and you're like, oh, is he going to... No, and he does. He just backs himself and goes to the corner. His, yeah, his dive is, sort is of, fantastic. Yeah, Crayling's the sort of player who you expect to have learnt over a long career of narrowly missing out to cut inside and just sure. take the position. But actually, he backs himself and goes to the corner. And that's perhaps why he's been such a special player for Namibia for such a long time. Yeah. Is yeah. that he has been on Crayling now? 32. 32. 32. Okay. One of those weird players who's like just bumped around playing semi-pro rugby for a really long time. Yeah. So probably can play for another World Cup cycle almost. Uh, I'd hope so. I'd hope so. Because he's so underrated in mm. that he's... You know, not really talked about, but he's yeah. been, as I say, one of the movie's most solid players for such a long time now. But like, Three World Cups. Yeah, it's a lot of bumping between like the Velvice club team, the Eastern Province okay. Kings. You know, he's kind of played for a lot of like Curry Cup sides and semi pro sides. And I so want to see him play not and, at a World Cup, you know? Yeah. I, want, I want the chance to see him play in the other three years of the calendar. Exactly. And it'd be great if he gets a couple of shots. He's a sort of player who. If Federale won was what it is now when he was younger, yeah. he perhaps could have had a solid contract there. Someone take him as a medical joker and, during yeah. the Six Nations or And something. the thing is, like, it sounds like, it sounds to me to say the French third division, right? But the budgets in the French third division are bigger than the Welsh regions of the yeah. URC. Yeah. Like, you know, and the probably premiership size inside the year. And like, there are Portuguese and Chilean players playing there, yeah. you know? Like, like, it's a really high level. It's a yeah. really, really solid level. But yeah, I thought Namibia just, really showed how solid they've been, how good they were, and got out to that, you know, 14-0 lead, and then to, you know, 17-5. Yeah. Um, and managed to just keep some pressure on and really build that. Like, that was maybe the best half they've ever had in a Rugby World Cup. Definitely. And they broke the record for the most points they've ever scored in the game yes. by one point, uh, yes. overtaking Tynes Kotz's incredible haul, taking to 25 against Fiji in 2011. They got to 26 in this game. Before we took turn to Uruguay, mm. though, I must say we were both very disappointed by the lack of Tian Swanepoel drop goal attempts. Yeah, well, this is a genuine thing, I think. Both we can be disappointed because we're big fans of uh, what happened in 2011. And big fans of Tian Swanepoel. Yeah, well. and Tian Swanepoel is perfectly set up to do exactly the same thing once again as, you know, maybe against uh, Fiji in 2011 where they took three drop goals in the first 20 minutes and it was amazing. Yeah. Like watching George Ford nowadays. But... This team is also perfectly set up. Like you saw actually against the All Blacks in France, they got into the opposition 22 plenty of times. Like their 22 entries is actually reasonably high across this tournament. Yeah. Just they've scored from a very low percentage of them. They've taken very few of their chances. If they're taking drop goals, suddenly they're putting some pressure on oppositions. Yeah. Probably not enough to win games, but enough to make teams start to panic. They have a kicker who can do that, who's capable of that and can manage games, you know, who has a really good head on his shoulders in Swanepoel, who's had a brilliant World Cup, by the way. Yeah, he's been super. But... They've got the chance to be doing that. They've also got Laubster as a second kicker option yeah. as well at fullback. So you've got your setup to do this. And I think Alistair got to here, very much thing was criticised with the Springboks was he was very attack-minded, very, very focused on, you know, running, on playing very phase-heavy rugby, which he's carried over to Namibia, even though it's no longer in vogue. Like, yeah. you know, four years ago, the style of rugby Namibia playing was really working for teams. Mm. And I think nowadays it's mildly updated in sure. that Namibia want to keep the ball for long phases at a time, really put pressure on and really build draw phases. penalty advantages out of people yeah. yeah 
and just like some teams pull off in hand, but but the thing is right, like sixty percent of tries at this World Cup, I think sixty four something like sixty mm-hmm. plus percent of tries at this World Cup have come with the first two phases. Yeah, like it's just the way the game's going. Like yeah. everyone kicks, starting with France, like France kick everything on the first, like second, third phase. It's gone on massively from the way the Springboks played in the last World Cup, kicking yeah. to four or five phases. So long phase counts, and that's really like upper boundary for, the for Springboks, yeah. you know, because defense is set so quickly. Defenses work really well. And also, like, if they're comfortably opposition's kicking, you can bring a extra man up and yeah. bring a 40 man back line. Yeah. Back 40 man main line. So, yeah, it just, like, it's become a real, a real force. And the way Namibia are playing would have been more effective in the last World Cup. But, you know what? We got to see it work really well here. And actually, some of their attacking plays have been far nicer people give credit for. Definitely. And really good to see them just get a proper game, as you say. Yeah. Get the most points they've ever scored, come the closest they've ever come to winning a game. They led at half time for the first time ever. It was a huge performance. I want to see every... In a World Cup, I want to see every single team's selling point. Yeah. And we finally got that in the end. So, good on you, Namibia. But we do have to give a lot of credit to Uruguay because Mm. they are a team who deserve to win games by margins as healthy as that one was. You know, This is nothing. Santiago Rata, the scrum off, who was obviously the player of the match in the end, he spoke about this. He spoke about how... This Uruguay team has never been favourite. Like, there's never yeah. been a Rugby World Cup match before where Uruguay was favourites to win it. Like, they caused an upset against Spain in 99, which was a minor upset, and a major upset against Fiji in 2019. And this is the first time they've ever gone in expected to win a game. Yeah. And they struggled with that in the first half. They did. They didn't know how they to did. deal with that. And yet, they still had the composure to come through, to pull ahead, to go on and win this game. Yeah, they panicked so much in the first half hour of that game. Yeah. And they clearly realised, like, actually, no, what we're doing isn't wrong. You know, a game mm. plan... Uh, and our structure isn't wrong. We're just throwing bad passes, you know. Yeah. We're just botching up lineouts. We're giving away penalties, you know. We saw it in that first minute, right? Like they are a better pass off scoring one minute in. Yeah. Right. And running away. It's a fourteen game. point turnaround there yeah. at the start. And they completely stuck by their plan. And that was really good. They didn't panic whatsoever. And eventually, you know, either they drove over the line, you know, Herman Kessler I think was brilliant in that yeah, game. Super. Um scored his try really well off the mall. Obviously the space eventually opened up for Santiago Rata. I'm so glad we got the Arata try. Yeah, we finally got to see Arata do his bullshit thing. Yeah. He got one touch of that against France where you thought it was going to happen. It almost led to a red card. Yeah, um, Talfa Fanua had to decapitate him to yeah. stop him from making really, a break. Really, really interesting that Arata said after that card was given as a yellow, if he dived, he thought it would have been red. And he's dived at everything since. Yes. Like, he's been going down so easily since. And I really respect that from him. Yeah. Also, the moment with the ball. Yes. So there was a point where... Um, Yunivi, Chewy Yunivi, who, who was the Namibian captain on the day, went in for a high shot, uh, got a yellow card in the end, but whilst the referee was reviewing it, it I was just... due to be a Namibia scrum. Yes, before the penalty was flagged up by the TMO. And Louis van der Westhuizen had the ball on the sideline. Yeah, line out, so yeah, it was ready line to throw it in. Yeah. And Santiago Arata was just constantly nipping at him, saying like, no, it's going to be our ball, it's going to be our ball, and going at him. And Van der Vestesen was just putting the ball behind his back, just putting it out of his way, like lifting it above his head, all sorts. And I just watched that for about 30 seconds, just thinking like, this is really entertaining. And I just tapped on the side and said, just look at Arata and Van der Vestesen down there, because this is really entertaining. Everybody else in the stadium was looking at the big screen. But this was the thing, right? It was still at that point where it said Emirates TMO. Yes. Up on the big screen. It hadn't yet brought up the image. So at that point, it then froze over to the image of the referee, and he then stands 
Beyonce going, oh, you, uh, can you get the image up, please? And then probably Ben Whitehouse comes up and goes, yeah, I can. Um, just hang on. My mum's bringing me some crisps. And then his mum brings him some crisps. And then they stop. And then they get the image up. And then they show it four times. Yeah. And this entire time, a ratter is like, and the Namibian team are so pissed off. They start to pass it between them. Like, you just deal with this, like, bloody imp speaking Spanish really annoyingly to me. That's it. Like, after I'd told you about it and you started mm. watching and we'd had a bit of a giggle about it for about you know 30 45 seconds i then got my phone out and started recording it and put a 45 second clip up on twitter that's how long this was Is going still on up? for yes we'll we haven't found it we'll we haven't it's some rugby people can watch i will i will double check this because genuinely that should not be a question well like but... last time they pulled down a clip of someone watching it in their living room because oh, you could yeah. see a little bit of the screen. It's still up. It's still up. It's World still Rugby haven't up. found it. They oh my god! There's it. footage of like a they rugby ball me. that World Rugby haven't pulled down. Yeah, this is incredible. Are you Wayne Barnes? <laughs> I must be. I must be. I'll keep an eye on that because you know the night is young. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Uruguay we've probably talked about on this podcast and with videos and everything more than any other team in the tournament. Sure, but been superb, and I really hope they have a good game against New Zealand tonight. Um, as we're recording this. You know, yeah, tonight. And yeah, Arata scores that try every single week in the top 14. So glad to see him do it in the World Cup. So it can go on the highlights compilation of the best tries in the World Cup. Because Absolutely. it will. Absolutely. And they came through that really well. Um, I think Carlos Deus has been phenomenal. He's been fantastic, hasn't 21 he? 21 years old, number eight, carries for so many metres. I think he's got a Makes top a 14 thousand tackles. Yeah. No matter how long you play him for. But the point Arata made as well is everyone talks about how we need to play the top nations more regularly, and they do. You know, Uruguay only played one tier one game between mm. the two World Cups, between 2019 and 2023. The other thing Arata is we need more of us just playing in the top 14, playing in the big divisions. Yeah. Because they have two players playing in the top 14. They have a bunch of players playing in MLR and SLAR and the kind of other pro, pro leagues. Yeah. Yeah. But they only have two playing at the absolute highest level of club yeah. intensity. It makes such a difference. It makes such a difference. Manuel Deck is a Lone different Decker. player to four years ago. Yeah. Like, he was very good four years ago, yeah. don't get me wrong. But he has comfortably been not only in Uruguay's leadership group this time mm. around, but he's comfortably been one of the best players. I'd say other than Ardao, he's probably been their best, most consistent forward. Yeah. And this is the thing, right? I want to see these players playing all the time in various big leagues. I think it's good for the game. I think it's good for those teams. I think it's good for those leagues to have cult heroes building. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a thing just to look at from the worst perspective, right? People were never more connected to the clubs and the regions than they were when they had these tier two, the Blaine Scullies, the Rod Snows, the Jeff Hasslers, the kind of tier two players who came in were unbelievable, really loved and committed to those clubs. Those players make them as much as the local boys who play for them, you know, the Josh Turnbulls of the world who play 800 games. The other day, one of those teams. I remembered about, remember Eric Lund? I remember Eric Lund. What a player. He was a great player. The Techno Viking Eric Lund. An extreme cult hero because he yeah. was a Norwegian international who yeah. was like genuinely of top 14 standard. Yeah. And like, we need more of that, man. Exactly. It's just good for rugby. Like, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's something you love looking at premiership football, right? And going like, oh, these players are from like 10 different countries. Yeah. You know, in like the 25-man squad. You know, I love that. And you look at like, you know, as an Ospreys fan, you look at the Ospreys squad, right? And there's maybe three nations they're from. Yeah. You know, and it's... It's so bland. It wasn't the case 10 years ago. Jeff Hassler, bloody Leslie Klim, you know, yeah. iconic names. Chauncey O'Toole, names we all adore. But yeah, I don't know. I want to see these players all the time, and regularly. It's like, if you're Cardiff and you're signing an uncapped South African 10, you can do that anytime, man. Yeah. Sign a Portuguese fly off. Mate, John Porte is better than Tinas de Beer. Of course he is. He's, He's better, better than most fly halves. Yeah. I mean, should we talk about the Portugal game? I think, I think we have to. I think we yeah. have to. There's a lot to unpack in this. Mm. Um, Firstly, I love watching Portugal play. So much. I love watching them sing the anthem. So much. And I love looking at Thomas Appleton. So much. He is so handsome. His hair, glorious. His hair. Almost making his, it front of Matt be missing. His teeth. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, he is a dentist. And exactly. Exactly my point. But, but that's the thing. He must be going to face. a different dentist. Yeah. Because he can't operate himself. But he is so perfect. Must be, so. He must be the second best dentist in Lisbon. Yes, I guess so. I guess so. But this Portugal-Australia game... The first thing I'm just going to get out of the way, we're not going to talk about the fucking ref because... Uh, oh, who gives a shit? Like, yeah. That's not a narrative in this so game. It was so boring. It's, that's not chat. a part I'd of I'd forgotten this. about that as well. Yeah, sorry to bring it up, but, but that's not a part of this. Yeah. So if that's what you want to hear, then stop listening because we, first and foremost, love watching that Portugal. Yeah. I'm speaking on behalf of yeah, you. I yeah. don't know this because we've not really talked about this game that much, but I loved this, uh, this Portugal team. I loved watching them play. I think in a way... They were brilliant in this game. Mm. In a way, they only had themselves to blame for losing it. This is the thing, right? Yeah. Portugal in this game, I think, were both superb, but also so far from their best. Yes. Um, I'd say they were like a 7 out of 10. What we saw in this game was Portugal showing that this team is capable of raising their standards to tier 1 intensity. Yeah. And we saw that in patches against Wales, but patches where they did fall off and they weren't quite there. What we saw was them able to do it for basically 80, not quite 80 minutes, maybe 75, 70 odd minutes, sure, right? Sure. Of being at that standard. There's not many of the tier two teams have been able to do that this tournament. No. You know, I think we've seen the Pacific Islands across the board, obviously Fiji, but Uruguay as well, I think across the board as well, have been fantastic in terms of raising their standards. Yeah. Portugal were able to do that almost effortlessly here. Yeah. Having had one game against Wales to really lead into this and really build up to this. And that was like their only tier one exposure. That well, they, they played Italy last year and yeah, they played other Japan. Than um, right in 2021 which is still a lower so, level than yeah you know they played two tier one nations both of which were fielding full second 15s yeah you know they played then a fully changed welsh team it's nothing the same as right and the other thing is the wallabies first team in a world cup yeah that's not like uruguay where uruguay played these teams in the previous world cup portugal hadn't played a tier one nation in like 10 years yeah you know before those two games they had like, no they were enormous yeah yeah so they've had very like chile had absolutely no prep playing tier one nations portugal had a tiny little bit and they raised their standard really quickly but what we saw right was that they were capable of doing that but also they're still not a mature enough team to put those games to bed yes they played to the same standard in australia mm. But I don't think they played to that standard particularly well. No, exactly. in a way, like they didn't take. And they left so many opportunities out there. And I mean, for instance, the big glaring point in the game 
is when Pedro Betancourt gets his yellow card, goes yes. off the field for 10 minutes. They had no idea how to defend with 14 men at that tempo. Because they've not been exposed to it before. With the 13 missing yeah, in particular. Exactly, you know, exactly. Like, obviously, Jose Lima is a fantastic player, but Betancourt and Appleton have been such a fantastic combo. That is the combo. Defensively, as much them. as anything. Um, as much as I want to see Rodrigo Marta getting a go in the centre, yeah. I just think Betancourt's been so solid for that them. That game against Georgia, Pedro Betancourt was absolutely unreal, particularly in defence. Yeah. Like, just as an organiser, the two of them are so smart and so in sync. And they're able to manage that defence so smartly. And suddenly with half of their defensive organisation gone, yeah. it looked like they only had half of the defence. Yeah. And like, bear in mind, the Wallabies are an extremely good attacking team. Mm. You know, They took all of those tries so, so well. They were absolutely unplayable for that yeah. 10 minutes while Betancourt was in the bin. Yeah, they were just incredible in attack. And Portugal had no idea how to adapt to that. Yeah. On one hand, you can say, if Portugal are given that regular Tier 1 mm. exposure, they might learn to kind of... Yeah. You know, it's come well, to that. Okay, if you played this game 10 times, Portugal are winning at least two of them. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. But on the other hand, mm. they should be they should be higher than that. Yeah. Because, um, sure, they let in all those tries. How the hell were they planning to get the thing over the line after sort of the eighth minute when yeah. Betancourt put it down? You know? And this is the thing, right? I think a lot of the narrative around this game has been very patronising to Portugal. Massively. And the standard to which Portugal, like Uruguay before them in this World Cup, have played to says to me they are capable of playing at a higher level and we should therefore treat them the same way we treat Japan or we treat Argentina or we treat Italy or we treat, you know, uh, leading into this World Cup, Wales or England. Yeah. You know, as Scotland. Yeah. Teams who are capable of playing at the top level, like Australia, you know, and maybe they don't do it every week. Maybe they're not World Cup contenders, but they're capable of playing against those sides. By the way, that's not having a go at people because we weren't, we genuinely weren't to know that before this World Cup that they could achieve that standard, which I think is an interesting point because I I don't know the answer to my own question, my Mm. own answer to this question, my own interpretation of this. But the way that Portugal have approached these tier one sides is extremely unusual and unconventional. Mm. You know, we often see something like, I don't know, like Uruguay maybe against France, for instance, where Mm. they're playing their absolute guts out. And it sounds patronising to Uruguay to say like there's a damage limitation to it, you know. But it's not, like, we know, we knew during that game that Uruguay are not as good a team as France, Mm. but they could have turned them over and won that game, for instance. It wasn't like Tonga in the last World Cup where every game was trying to keep the score down. Yeah, exactly. Nothing like that, nothing like that. Um, but why is it, do you think, and again, I don't know this myself, mm. that Portugal have managed to somehow achieve that the other way around, that they've somehow managed to go, you know, even if our players aren't quite as good, which some of them are as good, mm. um, and, you know, the exposure we have to this level, the experience we have isn't as good. How come they can just play to that standard even when they are bombing tries and letting in tries with 14 men? What do you reckon that comes down to? But I think there's an awful lot of factors here that do kind of start to add up. Mm-hmm. One is, yes, this team hasn't played much against Tier 1 Nations, but they have a couple of times. Yeah. They've now played three games against Tier 1 Nations at senior level. But also, right, they play to a really high standard at the 20s. Right. It's a good point. So a lot of this Portugal team came through under 20 level together. You had John Malporteo, you had Rafael Storti, you had David Wallis, you had a yeah. bunch of them all came through the same under 20s team and were phenomenal together. Right. And they played again, you know, the Storti infamously scored like 10 tries in six games yeah, or something. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, and they were was, all from like 70 plus meters. Yeah. But it meant they got to play against all the best under 20 sides in the world. You've then seen the likes of, you know, Storty then gets signed from there to go and play for Stade Francais. Yeah. They've had like a gradual raising of standards. I also think a lot of it is in the way they've approached the games, just in terms mm. of like mentality, just in terms of mindset. I was, I was, that, they've that's approached them completely without fear. 
Like, how do you think Lajuske himself has drilled that into the, the likes of mm. Portea and like Samuel Marks to just go like, you know what? No, we are the team who's going to control this and somehow have a better mentality or, or stronger mentality, I suppose, mm. than Australia and Wales. You look at Portugal post-COVID, mm. right? And they start with having a pretty good rugby group championship. Yeah. Right? They then manage in 2021 to arrange this game against Japan, where they obviously have the attack on. They're about to score the try that could win it with two minutes to go. And on the overlap, they throw the interception past the Yamanaka, who runs in from 70 meters and wins the game and secures it for Japan. Right? That is obviously a devastating moment. But when you pull that apart, when you come in on the Monday morning and you look at that performance, you go, we are as good as the team that made the quarterfinals last time. Yeah. So they then build that into the next campaign they have in 2022. They draw with Georgia and Tbilisi. First time Georgia haven't won a game in Tbilisi since like 2005, 2006. Yeah. You know, like a huge record they had there. And then that starts to roll eventually into the qualifying campaign. Point. Right? Yeah. They then just about struggle by and qualify with the last kick of the game against the USA scrape into the World Cup in the most dramatic but also the most like heartening and confidence building Mm. circumstance and suddenly you go into 2023 right you go into World Cup year itself on an absolute high suddenly right the year before they are losing to Romania by heavy score lines they beat Romania they get bonus point win against Romania beating them by like I think 16 or so points in the end yeah that then rolls on to this summer where yes they fall over against Australia right but they give them proper game for like 70 minutes and I think that's a factor. Yeah. There's an argument made that Australia A team is as strong as the Australia team that went. It's you know, had Bernard good. Foley in it, yeah. had Reece Hodge, Hodge in it. Philippe Dungunu, yeah. like um, Lockie Swinton. like Proper like test international players. Yeah. And they held their own and they were in the game to win that for 70 minutes and then they kind of fell apart later sure. on. And I think you can take a lot of confidence from that, from the fact that they then built that's that. Defi- that definitely but helps. the other key game I think that needs to come up is they played the USA again in the World Cup qualifier, or mm. World Cup warm-up. And but only for themselves, you know, because the USA aren't here. Yes. But they battered them. Yeah. They absolutely smashed them. And Proved a year ago, they were drawing with them. And suddenly, nothing has changed in this team. They've got the same coach. They've got the same players. The players are eight months older but the confidence has gone through the roof and the belief in that, right? And rugby is a fundamentally emotional game. Yeah. And I think we have seen this Portugal team just raise in confidence. And if they can continue getting these games, I think there's a very good chance that they start beating Georgia next year. How I often? think there's a good chance they are... I think there's a very good chance they win the Rugby Open Championship in the next five Oh, yeah, years. yeah, definitely. And I definitely. think there's a very good chance... That they, they should expect to. Yeah. There's a very good chance that they win a game in... The, against one of the big teams if they get one of those games in the next four years. Yeah. How often do you forget that they are the bottom-ranked seed in this pool? Yeah. I regularly do, let alone the fact that they were the last team to They're qualify. the bottom-ranked team in the, in champ- the, tor- the tournament. whole World Cup. Like, in terms of seeding, in terms of getting in, they're the bottom team. They're not the bottom-ranked team in world rankings, but they're the bottom-ranked team in the whole tournament. Yeah. They were the last to get in on the very final repechage. Yeah. Know? How often... That was the like, upset that they got in. Like, Yeah, exactly. But even if you like, cast that aside, mm. like let let alone that, how often do you forget that they're the bottom-ranked team in that pool? Oh, constantly. Because I, mean, I constantly think like they're third or fourth. I remember they're the bottom-ranked team in the pool. Uh, but also, it's the point I made on Twitter, and people were being really angry about this, but like this is the most even pool that's ever been in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, right? yeah like, I love this pool. The distance between the best team and the worst team, being Wales to Portugal, is so small. Tiny. So small. Like, the margin was 20 points, right? Uh, when they played each other. And I think that's a fair reflection. And that's the margin between the best and the bottom. Who would have ever thought that we'd have a World Cup 
game where it's Australia against Portugal. Portugal scored the first try and it's not a fluke. Yeah. Uh, it's them properly breaking down the defence and the Portuguese crowd all going to each other, we're going to win this game. Yeah. You know, and the fact that Portugal came off disappointed that Appleton said, you know, I'm proud, but I'm really upset mm. with how this game has gone. Yeah. Um, and he's, he said that against Wales, you know, mm. he said that against Georgia. Um, and clearly this team have high standards, as you said. I think it's really interesting the thing you say about them gradually building yeah. not only the confidence, but their exposure to this kind of yeah. level. I think that weirdly does line up with the Japan 2015 model yeah. where they beat South Africa. And then Michael Leach kind of came out and said, yeah, obviously I'm really pleased and it's the biggest resort in history, but I almost don't see that as an upset. Yeah. Because that's what we've been preparing for. Like we've been hardened to the fact that that's going to happen. We've been told that that's going to happen by Eddie for several years, mm. and then after that, you know, they take one more scalp, then one more, then one more, then they get a buttload of tier one experience, mm. and then qualify to the quarterfinals the next time round. Yeah, and I'm not saying for a second that that's going to happen to Portugal next time round, but those players will be four years older and will hopefully have a load more experience at playing at that level. And like clearly, they have a team full of players who will just take that and run with it. Mm. Like, they will bite your arm off at any tier one experience. And it's like, you say that, you know, they played against Japan, they played against Italy. Clearly they have learned more from those games than any other team has yeah. with such little exposure. The other thing is, though, that they play against Georgia very regularly. Yeah. Right. And Georgia are playing against the tier one teams. So they yeah. know the re- level you've got to raise to. You know, it's one handshake away yeah. from being playing tier one. They can trace Georgia. over Georgia. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that is the advantage the European teams have. Right. And I think it's been, we talked about Namibia earlier. The African qualifiers have no chance because the only yeah. African team that's up to the top standard is South Africa, right? And they play their regular games against New Zealand, against Australia, against Argentina. I think they do all right they, in Africa qualifying. Yeah. But the point is, the right? Box. Namibia come through that really comfortably. Yeah. There's no competition for them. Yeah. Like they every facet of the game, like yeah. scrum, line out, kicking, like attacking, defensively, they're better in everything. Yeah. They don't have any challenge, yeah. right? Where Georgia are thankfully getting, this is about to change of the World League, but they're getting some games against the Tier 1 nations. They're getting enough games. You know, in the last few years, they played South Africa. They yeah, played they're Wales, getting drip-fed those they've games. They've sure. England. They've played Ireland. They've played Scotland a few times. They have you know, played Wales twice. They've played Italy, and they've beaten Italy, and they've beaten Wales, right? They have played more of the Tier 1 nations than they haven't in the last yeah. four years, Georgia. That's great. And that means that then there is a drip-feed down across the continent, across bloody rugby in Europe. You know, you taking the fact that Romania, the Romania team that Portugal were playing up until, you know, Abjot comes in for Robinson in December, mm. had also played Argentina in the last year and had also played Italy in the last few years. Yeah. And it all starts to build and it all starts to improve and the standard is so much higher in the Rugby Europe Championship than it is in Africa and it is in anywhere but South America, you know. Uh, which is a whole other situation. The way they managed to raise that level by raising each other is really impressive and yeah, working together sure. in order to create an overall greater product. I just think this Portugal team is going places. Yeah. And I think Portugal, this Portugal team will turn Portugal into a Rugby World Cup regular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've said this before in the podcast. Yeah. Like, they should expect to qualify for the next one yeah. and probably in a European slot rather they're, than... They're looking at Europe 1 or 2. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of it being expanded, they're going to qualify, you yeah. feel. And yeah, the the ceiling on this team is so high. Unbelievably young backline. I don't see a world in which they don't beat at least one tier one nation before this team retires. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. This is such a special generation that is hopefully going to be groundbreaking. And with that, I want to talk about some of the stuff that happened in the game. Yes. Um, I want to talk about Geronimo Portea. Mate. Who, possibly the man of the match in that game. I mean, 
No. Rob Valentini was the official man of the match, and I can't oh, argue with that because yeah. I think he's unbelievable. Rob Valentini's been so good in this. World he's Cup, been Australia's he? best player by a margin. Yeah, by by quite a long distance, and he um, has been for a few years. Yeah, he, he's such a good, such a good player, so solid. But let's talk Geronimo Portea. Yes. So you made the point before this that he's probably been the best ten of this pool stage. Yeah. And I think I agree with you. I think I stand by that. If we were picking a team of the tournament so far, I'm picking Jean Mopote. I can't think who like competes with him. I think Richie Martin has played well. But also he hasn't played every game. Yeah. You know, he's played and also he's not had the most difficult games. He played games. all right against France. Yeah, and then he played well against a shit Italy team, which we might get onto yeah, at some point. And Namibia, like... Yeah, and then he came off the bench against Namibia and he hasn't played um, Uruguay yet. Like I don't yeah. think you can put him in. But as you say, he's the other one that comes up, like Jalabert maybe I don't know yeah like we we can't really Sexton's comment been on fine. Sexton and Russell like yeah, we don't know they've been fine how well across played. the board Jorma Portea George you know, Ford I guess is the other one George isn't Ford's he? played really well Bigger and Anscombe have both played well uh, though Anscombe was less flashy against Portugal I guess but phenomenal against Australia but the thing is Jorma Portea in every single game has got better and better yeah he has he is 22 years old Right. That man is a, such a baller, and like he can he can manage games, man. Like yeah. I didn't know he had that in him before this tournament. Yeah, I think it's probably because for Portugal he's had limited kind of games where he's had to go full game management mode because, because the ones that have been tight have been open. Samuel Marks has generally done that, and like, that too. Yeah, that's been the secret of their success has been Samuel Marks as a kind of Ruan Pinar figure at nine. Yeah, or Greg Laidlaw figure at nine is able to manage the game and run everything and take a lot of pressure off his 10. Yeah. And it's meant Portea over two and a half years in this Portugal shirt has slowly built and ex- you know, learned to control the game. That's it. To the yeah. point in which he's he is now, yeah, yeah. he's like, now an unbelievable game manager. Yeah. Like he's, Always had like a, an amazing arsenal of attacking kicks mm. and being able to just boot it long, you know. Yeah, and like he was a flair player. Like you came yeah. into him thinking him in the same way you do Rodrigo Fernandez. And I said this before, right? The difference between the two of them is they both have a similar level of talent, but Fernandez took the game up at twelve or thirteen. Portea took it up when he was four. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. And that's also the big difference. A lot of this, but that's the thing. Like he's had this, um, this again, huge like amount of weaponry in his mm. attacking kicks, but. Um, he's got Marks managing the game at fifty at, at nine, and then he's got Gwedash at fifteen as well mm. to kind of bail him out. And between those two, he's not had to get manage too many games, but he's just shown that he knows when to kick, when to attack. And there were a few times where my heart was in my mouth, and I was thinking like they were going so over ambitious with this attack in that first mm. half, like even when they were doing well and before they were blowing chances, you know. But he seems extremely composed, and he's not afraid to get overruled by Marks. The fact he's tall really helps him as well. Because hmm. um, he's a weird game line threat, right? And I don't think anyone in this tournament, any fly half, sells an inside ball better than him. That's true. That's true. There's something about the gangly way he runs that really tells the defenders going. As well. Yeah. Like, it like helps when people... you've got Marta and Storty on the wings. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But, but the amount of people that bite on him think he's going to run himself and he drops it off inside. Yeah. Like... I say Martin and Storty are both fantastic. Martin yeah. had a much better game, finally. Martin, Martin was, was fantastic. Good, man. Um, I was so pleased that he got a bit more space to run in. Like, virtually every time he got the ball, you thought, he's off here, he's going to do something. Mm. Um, I just love watching that guy play. And, like, Storty as well. Like, Storty made Marika Corambete look like utter shit. Yeah. I think Marika Corambete, and it's untimely for me to say this uh, because he's, like, retiring, but I think he's been one of the best wingers in world rugby for 
you know, six or seven years now, yeah. whatever, how, however long he's been playing for the Wallabies. I think he was dog shit in that last game. I think he got completely outplayed by Rafael Storti, which doesn't give me a great amount of pleasure to say because Corin Betty's been one of my favourite players. But man, he just looked lost constantly, mm. marking that entire back three. Mm. Mm. No, I thought across the board, though, you've just got fantastic performances from this entire team. Thomas Appleton, though, I think had some phenomenal touches. His oh, pass, his pass. lead up to the Betancourt oh try God. is one of the best I've ever seen in my life. It's nearly as beautiful as his face. Yeah. <laughs> and then Betancourt's finish on that is great. Yeah. However, I also think there's some decision-making he makes and a few other passes he throws late on that are perhaps more questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get into quite a lot of territory of this player is fantastic but there's one moment where they absolutely bombed the try yeah. you have exactly the same thing with Nicolas Martins oh man at seven. Martins had an unbelievable World Cup bombed that try yeah that was a terrible he had a chance to get the pass inside he had chances to go early he, he dives exactly the wrong time he puts himself out poorly taken poorly taken would have put them back in the game right wrong, time. a player like him will that. learn from that you yeah know, no doubt like, and that's the thing right Appleton said the big learning from that Wales game was they didn't when they played at lower levels, they've been able to make the same amount of mistakes they did and still stay in the game, yeah. you know, and be within like 10 points and be able to potentially pull it back in the last 10 That's minutes. It, the tempo to. of the game isn't an issue yeah. for them. Where suddenly, at that level, if they make the number of mistakes they did against Wales, which they did, you know, a lot of people praised them just because they were competitive because people weren't expect them to be. People expected yeah. the Portugal team in 2007 to rock up. They didn't. A new Portugal team, a very different Portugal team turned up. Because they were making those mistakes suddenly the game got away from them and they were 20 points behind rather than yeah. five points behind. At the time of that Wales-Portugal game, I said Portugal were like a six or seven out of 10. I'm going to retroactively say there were a five. Yeah, I think there were five. I um, think that was like a solid, okay performance. From yeah, them. yeah. Because I think in this Australia game, they've shown they can go another level higher in I, this World Cup and they've shown they can go so many levels higher than I think, what they do in Australia. I think Portugal were six. It was a broadly positive performance, but I think their ceiling is so much higher than what yeah, they showed there. Absolutely it is. I think the mistakes, some of the, you know, decision-making, but particularly the way in which they couldn't take those tries yeah. when they had clear-cut opportunities. Like that as well as with Gwedash was just yeah. like, hard to watch. As well as, like, Rodrigo Martis played plenty of 13, and they couldn't just slot him into the 13 channel. Like, they looked yeah. completely lost with him there. That's such a good point, yeah, because I think we said this when Bessicourt went off. We were just yeah. like, you know what, they've got a good replacement there. Yeah. And yet it just didn't work out like that. Yeah. And Mars is a much better player than that. And I think ultimately a lot of this just cost Portugal and they could have been so much better. They could yeah. have really landed there. And yeah, I think all of this is on their head, but that's the really exciting thing, right? Yes. I don't mean to be down on them because a the really exciting thing is we have a tier two nation who's the last team to qualify who are in a position now where they can kick on and start beating tier one yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. And it's a genuine possibility that can happen in the next four years. disappointed they've not done it in yeah. this World Cup. You know, when they would be skipping quite a few stages of the plan if yeah. they won any of these games, you know, yeah. other than maybe the Georgia one. But we have to also talk about Australia, yeah. I think, because I think just as much as Portugal bombed those chances, Australia did brilliantly to hold them out yeah. and keep it until the 70th minute before they scored and really just narrow that clock before, you know, the, the window of time for Portugal to actually come back and win that game and score more. Like, mm. if that game had 21 minutes, Portugal probably come back and win that. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. Uh, because Australia managed it really well. When when they knew all of the momentum was against them, they knew how to just hold Portugal out and, yeah, manage the game. And I just think you have to give them credit, you know, in the way Absolutely. that sometimes we struggle to do with um, teams who've been battered uh, or teams who've had 
you know, upsets no, or whatever. But it was. It was such a solid, comfortable... It was a very Eddie Jones performance, I think. Yeah. I think that's what Eddie Jones has traditionally done with his teams, is they have very quietly pulled away. Yeah. You know, they've scored a lot of tries in a very unflashy way. And that was what the Wallabies did. They took their tries. They took their chances. They kicked an awful lot in order to put themselves in positions. It's the the phrase, you you know, you look at one of the big trends in this World Cup, right? And the team that's winning is the team that gets the more 22 entries rather than the team that's more clinical with yeah. the 22 entries. Yeah. Um, to use Sam Lana's phrase on that, you've got to buy a ticket for the lottery, you know, in order to get in, uh, which is a great phrase that I tend to steal regularly. Yes. Um, but the Wallabies bought an awful lot of tickets, right? Portugal did as well. and But the Wallabies just like when they got into that half they were scoring tries so it felt yeah. like they weren't there as much like yeah. if you look at the 22 entries i don't have these stats in front of me but yeah possession and territory were fairly even right mm. but i reckon if you looked at i don't have the stats in front of me the 22 entries and the time in the 22s they're probably similar number 22 entries but the time in the 20 would be so much greater for portugal because yeah. they're just not finishing their chances That's they're just it. not taking it That's it. them when they get them yeah i think um Fichetti did well coming in. Yes. I think uh, he took his opportunity. Obviously, um, Karevi came on quite early in the second half um, yeah. and found himself in the sim bin quite early. Um, but I continue to really rate Tom Hooper. I think Tom Hooper's a proper, like proper top end test player. I, I, I just, think he's. I think he's got a lot of potential. I think he's got some way to go yet. But. I think if Tom Hooper was a British, play for one of the British nations, people would rate him really highly, really quickly. Yeah, that's but fair. He's not a Australian type flanker. Mm. You know, people want a Michael Hooper. People want a David Pocock. They want a marauding kind That's of fair. incredibly handsome guy. And instead, they've got an ugly little bastard on the fight. We're talking side. And to like, they haven't had a player like that since Scott Fardy. And yeah. I'm really excited by them just That's having fair. like a nuggety bastard that who is works fair. hard, isn't indisciplined, and just had an incredible motor on him. Yeah, we, we were talking to Harry Dale about this, weren't mm. we? And he was saying like, we've had Hooper before Hooper. We had Pocock, and before Pocock, we had George Smith. Yeah, like we've been stuck in this cycle. For of, war this as is well. what and for war and like even like Liam Gill. Yeah. brought up like that there is a stereotype what a seven should look like in australia yeah and perhaps it is time that that's slightly changed i yeah. think it is slightly deviating with fraser mcwright yeah but um but he also is like a light version of that and i wonder if that seven's going to come along in a few years yeah you know it's people forget that maybe there was a year in between where someone filled in also quick word for broken nick frost who, yes. uh, you know, seemingly couldn't run after two minutes into the game and somehow found himself hitting like an unbelievable amount of rucks and then getting subbed off at half time. Nick Frost has been one of the most underrated players in this tournament. He's really, He's been really great good. in every game. I watched that Wales Australia game back the other night. He was fantastic in that for mm. the Wallabies, like in a way that went completely under the radar. He's been really, really good every game for the Wallabies. Just really, I think, nailed himself on the team sheet. Such a shame that he's been ruled out for the rest of the World Cup, according to the Wallabies' official uh, Twitter <laughs> account. It's like he's been ruled out for minus six days. Because that's, that's a thing, right? The Wallabies have had to hang around for this weekend because there's still a mathematical chance they can go through. And they don't have a game this weekend. Yeah. They're just hanging around for seven days where they can't go home, where they've got to sit in their misery and eat croissants. What's really interesting, um, it's not very often I'm going to call ITV punditry interesting, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so I watched that, obviously. This is like my first weekend I've had watching games on ITV. Mm. But uh, after that, they said to George Gregan, they spoke to George Gregan and Jim Hamilton okay. uh, about this and said, like, what do they do in that situation? And George Gregan said, like, oh, I can say with some confidence that they're going to be on the beers tonight yeah, um, to celebrate yeah. the win because that's all they can do at this point. Uh, and they're probably going to get sent home if they know that. Yeah. And like literally the only thing they can do is just get hammered. Yeah. And of course, George Gregan would say that. Like, yeah, sure. But like, probably is best you ask a Scotland player 
Yeah. But, you know, they've, yeah. they've got I experience. think they've got literally the two most qualified people to ask <laughs> yeah. that question right there. So, speaking of qualifications, we have none of them. But I think we'll pause it there. Okay. Uh, and we'll come back and we'll talk about other games. We'll probably do like a speed round going through the other games this weekend. Yeah, there's a couple of games that... Like, there's one of the games that I like paid a little bit less attention to. In fact, two of them. So... Yeah, I think, you know, so Japan Samoa, we can run through quickly. New Zealand, Italy, Argentina, Chile, I was at, and that was a lot of fun. That yeah. was a great occasion. Uh, Fiji, Georgia was a great game. Yeah. Uh, then Scotland, Romania as well. Will, and South Africa, Tonga also. Um, I think we'll run through those on a separate as podcast. As many as we can in Yeah, we've talked about the two most interesting games with the most to talk about, probably yes. other than Fiji, Georgia, uh, which can lead another one. Yes. Um, so... We've got to get going because bloody Uruguay about to play the All Blacks. Yeah. Um, we will see you very soon for uh, rugby. Uh, do you have anything else to add or did you tell us Josh Navidi at the start? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, just keep an eye out for Josh Navidi. If you see some very, very sharp looking dreadlocks in Nantes, then say hello to Nicky Robinson because I'm sure he feels left out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.